Amen. If you have a Bible this evening, turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel, and let's go to chapters 3 and 4. Uh, we want to look at David's reign. Uh, he's going to be in this area called Hebron. It's about 20 miles right below Jerusalem, and he spends about seven years there. And we're also going to look at David's reign in, in Hebron, but also his many trials. And at this time, Saul's out of the picture. He's dead now, and David's been uh, ordained as the king of Israel. He really hasn't taken charge. Uh, there's a division that's already begun, and it's going to continue. This is just the beginning. It's a hard time in the history of the nation of Israel. A civil war was not to be, but because man is who he is, these things happen so easy. And so I want to go through these two chapters, and uh, let's begin here, 2 Samuel chapter 3, and we begin to speak about David's family. Now, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Imagine that there's this civil war going on. It's a painful situation. It has to get a hold of the heart of God. And so civil war, any war is never a beautiful situation. But imagine that this is in the nation of Israel. And they just couldn't get it together. And so you're going to see the hardship and the pain. This is just the beginning. Now, we're going to speak about David's sons. These are not all his sons here. But we speak about six of his sons. But I want to give you some heads up. Does God allow polygamy? And the answer is no. But these Kings went ahead and did it without God's permission, without God's guidance. And you're going to see the result. There was chaos within the, the family structure. And so God never intended that to be. And yet we even have Mormons that try to still do it today. And so we begin in verse uh, 2 here. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first son was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelite. And so David's firstborn, Amnon. And just let me give you some background. We're going to get to it more as we continue. But he ends up raping uh, his uh, half-sister, uh, Tamar. And then was murdered by his half-brother. And so that was Absalom. And, and so you see the structure of the family. And this is because they, each, each son had a different mom. And it was not meant to be. In verse 3, his second, Chiliab, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third son, Absalom, the son of Makkah, and the daughter of Telmai, king of Geshura. Chiliab, not much is known about him. We know that he died young. Uh, commentaries will tell you he was very ungodly. If you look into 1 Chronicles chapter 3, not now, but when you do, you'll find that his name was also called Daniel. But Absalom murders his half-brother. And so, interesting how these things take place. All because of civil war. And the attempts to murder David by even Absalom, we're going to see that as we continue. And so, see the difficulties 
in having these multiple marriages with so many different backgrounds. Now, David made a lot of mistakes, but when you get to Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and if you think you need another wife, please come and see me after the service. We'll sit down and talk. <laughs> Verse 4, the fourth son is Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth is Shiptia, the son of Abtel. Now, Adonijah attempts to seize David's throne after David's death. We'll study that later. He, att he attempts to take David's concubine. He is then executed. Now, it was customary, and it shouldn't have been, to take the king's concubine, and that way it shows your authority, uh, your power. This is what I have now. And it used to belong to him. But this is his own dad. Can you imagine that? Now it goes on into verse 5, and the sixth was Ethrium, and by David's wife, Eglah, uh, these were born to David in Hebron. Hebron, as I shared, if you look at your maps, uh, Jerusalem, and then right, right below it, about 20 miles or so, and it's estimated that David stayed there uh, about seven and a half years. But these are not all of David's wives, listen, and these are not all of David's children. And it gets him into a lot of trouble. It definitely got Solomon into a lot of trouble. And it took Solomon's heart away from serving the Lord. And he began to build the shrines for his different wives and such. Now Abner comes back into the picture. In verse 6, now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was threatening his hold or strengthening his hold in the house of Saul. Abner, remember, he's Saul's captain, and uh, he's the one uh, that appointed the, the king to, to follow Saul. We'll get to that in just a minute. Ishbosheth is one of the sons. And, but, but you have to think of Abner. He did it for a reason. He did it for a purpose. He wanted position. He wanted to be king, but he couldn't be. And so he puts this weak son and so he's able to call the shots, and you're going to see that. And so basically, Ishboeth becomes like a puppet reign. In verse 7, and Saul had a concubine whose name was Ridpah, the daughter of Iha. Uh, and so Ishboeth uh, said to Abner, Why have you gone in to my father's concubine? He had all the rights to say that. He had all the rights to say that. But I want you to see what Abner's going to do. He's going to snap right back at him. Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishboeth. And he said, am I a dog? And he's speaking about uh, a dog of Judah. Am I a dog, the head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, and his brothers, and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman? And listen to the derogatory response there. To this woman? In other words, she's just a concubine. What do you care? And women were considered second-class citizens, basically. Especially a concubine. Think about it. And so Abner puts Ishboeth as king over the northern kingdom. But Abner's exercising his authority. He knew that Ishboeth was weak, and you're going to see that as we continue. And then he sounds 
Pretty clever right here in verse 9. May God do, to, do so to Abner, and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. God kill me, that's what he's saying. God destroy me if I don't restore. And, and so he's trying to look good when you consider what's taking place right here. Look at verse 10. Uh, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. His thoughts are good, but his actions show different as we continue. He wants to bring back from the civil war and bring it back to one. And it's going to take place for a season, but the civil war is going to continue into years. When we get into the kings, you'll see even that much more. But notice now, in verse 11, and he could not answer Abner another word because, and here's the key, he feared him. You see, Ishboeth is the king right now. He's one of uh, Saul's sons, but he's not a military man. He's not a warrior. He's not a fighter. He wasn't like his dad. But Abner was. Abner was ruthless. Abner was mean. And he took care of business. Just like Joab that worked for David. We're going to study that later. And so then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David. Saying who is this land belong to basically. Saying also uh, make your covenant with me. And indeed my hand shall be with you. Uh, to bring all of Israel uh, to you. Is he setting David up? Is he trying to, you know, uh, cushion David? David, I'm doing this for you. We're going to bring the, the land back together. We're going to bring back the country together. We need one king, basically. And David understands that. But it's uh, not going to take, it'll take place for a, a short time only. Notice as it says in verse 13, And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face until first, first you bring to me Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Now, Abner is a wheeler dealer in my book at this time, making deals uh, that God will not honor. His desire is to reign with David. He knows that David's going to be the king. And so he can't be the king. But he wants to be with David. Now, Michal is very important. David had a love for her. But remember that Saul, this is Saul's daughter, he took her away from David. And you're going to see another hardship here. I think David's pride gets in the way too. I want my wife back. David, you have plenty of wives. What's your problem? And you're going to see Michal's husband that she's married to now. This guy's weeping. But because it's the king, he has to do it. In verse 14, so David sent messengers to Ishboeth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskin of Philistines. This was the dowry that he paid uh, to Saul. And Ishboeth sent, and he took her from her husband. Uh, here's a weak king, and yet he was able to do that because he had other men around him. But. Uh, what, what, is the, what about the husband? And, and see, this is wrong, and it's wrong in the eyes of God. And it was never in the law. But these guys went against the law. And so it says, her husband from uh, Peltiel and the son of Laish. 
this is Ishbosheth, uh, Saul's son now. Abner has appointed him king, so he's kind of taking the rule now, and he's making sure things are done his way. And so verse 16 goes on, then, then her husband, listen to this, this is Michal's husband. Then her husband went along uh, with her to Baharim. He's weeping behind her, so Abner said to him, you need to go home. You need to return. And he's obedient. He does return. But can you see a broken heart here? David, what are you doing? I mean, now, now you're becoming like Saul. This guy has been married to her. You should just leave her alone. Can't, what about the weeping that's going on? And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, they didn't just cry, they wept. Notice now. We come to verse 17. And Abner is going to be assassinated as we continue. And he's the right-hand man of Saul, remember. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, in time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now, then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people, Israel, from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. I believe that Abner here, he knew of the prophecies of David. He knew that David was to be the, uh, the king of Israel. He knew well enough. And so I think he's playing his cards. And he's throwing it all out there, but at the same time, he's trying to look uh, good in this. In verse 19, and Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Uh, then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David and Hebron, and all seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. Eventually, uh, Judah and Benjamin, uh, they tie up together, and they become the southern kingdom. And so that's two tribes, but the other ten tribes go the other way. And then you have the northern kingdom. And again, you can see the civil war establishing, even here and now. But what's interesting about the Benjamites, they were the fighters, and David's men were ruthless also. And so uh, David will prevail, but it's not going to be without trial. In verse 20, so Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. I like David's heart. He's doing the thing that a king's supposed to do. I think another king would have taken advantage and not put up with Abner at all. But God has a plan. David has a protocol that he has to follow as king. Notice what happens. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord, the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Now, mark that down. He went in peace. Because Joab's going to come and he says, you let him go? But David is following protocol. David is doing the kingly thing. He's doing the right thing. But I even asked, David, your opportunity right here. But he didn't do it. In verse 22, at that moment, the servant of David and, and Joab came uh, from a raid that brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David and Hebron for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. And so when Joab returns 
from this skirmish, this battle, he brings the spoils. And he's going to get word right away uh, that Abner was there. And let's see what happens. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he sent him away. And again, listen to this. This is why it shows you, and he has gone in peace. They're all thinking the same thing. David should have taken him out. David should have punished him. David should have done something. But David will not touch unless God says, because he's gotten into trouble before. Notice, he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and he said, what have you done? Now Joab is also a strong right-hand man of David like uh, Abner was to, to Saul. And you're going to see that I believe even David feared Joab because these are considered, you know, the, the henchmen, if you may. And so they're going to take David's orders all the way. And he says, what have you done? I, I want you to see that. You're telling your king, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? And he has already gone. I think Joab says, you should have saved him for me. I would have taken care of business. Remember, he wants to avenge his brother. Because Abner killed his brother. We'll get that in a little bit here. In verse 25, surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, uh, came to deceive you. I like what he's sharing there. To know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing. Joab is warning David. He will turn on you. Joab doesn't trust him at all. And I think sometimes, you know, I'm a very trusting person, and I, I will give anything to anybody and everywhere. And sometimes the guys, they have to come up and tell me, Pastor Bob, be careful. And so you have to have people like this. You have to have people that are thinking and, and not just being graceful and, and, and do it. Because bottom line, uh, now don't quote me on this, but somebody says, can I have those chairs? Yeah, I'll. Take them if you need them. Now, don't be taking any chairs there. <laughs> Natalie's already polishing up with a red one over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Notice, at that moment, the servants came. And so, uh, it, it's all set up. It's perfect. Joab's warning. Look at verse 26. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent a messenger after Abner who brought him back from the well of Sirah. Uh, but David did not know. Listen to uh, Joab here. Keeping his king out of the problem. And Abner thinking, David wants me back. I, I, I can imagine what he told him. And so in verse 27, and when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately, and there he stabbed him in the stomach, and so that he died for the blood of Ashiel, his brother. This is called avenge killing. On your own, I don't have the scriptures, but I have the book, uh, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. In the law, there was provision for avenging. But yet the scriptures declare that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. David wouldn't touch God's anointed, and that was King Saul, remember? 
And I think we need to take heed to that. Sometimes we want to do God's work. Sometimes I want to chide somebody, and yet it should be God that does it. It should be the Holy Spirit that does it. And basically, won't he do a better job? You know, I've, through the years, I've been in ministry long enough. I've had people come against me. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get mad. It's easy to get angry. And I have to say, years back, I, I would get upset about it. And now I just say, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God be nice to you because you're not being nice to me. And so it's very important that we let the Lord do his job. Now, let's continue here. Watch what happened. In verse 28, afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord. So David's hands are clean, forever the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. David, as king, did not appreciate what his right-hand man did. It was wrong for Joab, but it was also wrong for Abner that he killed Joab's brother. And David, in a sense, his hands are clean now. But I want you to write the scripture down. Most of you know it. Uh, God is sovereign. He allows things to happen sometimes even in your life and sometimes in my life, and I don't understand it. And so I've often gone to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. I'm getting feedback up here. And so what is going on here? First, David lets him go. I think David knew exactly what Joab was going to do. I think down deep inside, David's happy. He says, I'm clear of all this. Notice verse 29. Let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house, and let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. This is a curse that David places upon Joab's descendants. It's radical when you think about it. David cursed the house of Joab. May there be poor in your house. May they fail in battle. May leprosy fall upon your house. May suicide fall in on the sword. This is very harsh. But these are the things that they did in those days. And, and again, my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. God allows these things to take place. Look at some of the things that we do. And God lets us get away with it. It's called the grace of God. It's called the grace of God in the Old Testament. It's called the grace of God in the New Testament. Don't raise your hands, but how many of us, uh, you know, have done things that we shouldn't have done, and, and then we come to grips with it, but it's the grace of God. He lets you get away with it. It's, it uh, as I get older in the Lord, it frustrates me. I said, Lord, why do I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? And, and it's just human nature. Again, remember in Romans uh, chapter 7, I believe, it, it's that battle between the flesh and the spirit. And the one you feed the most is the one that's going to win. But this curse is unbelievable. And verse 30 now, so Joab and, and Abishah, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed the brother Ashel at Gideon 
at, at Gibeon uh, in the battle. So he got his revenge. And we'll talk more about the revenge later. In verse 31, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, uh, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. Again, look at the protocol of David. David does the right thing. Abner deserved to be dead. I'm sorry. And Joab did it. And David knows that. But now, let's have a proper burial for Abner. I mean, they follow this thing to the T. And he cursed. <laughs> he cursed Joab's descendants. It doesn't say anything about Joab, what he says about it. And so verse 32, so they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice, and he wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept with him. Now, is it an act that he's doing? Or is David truly weeping? He's also going to lament. And so I believe David's heart was a heart after God's heart. We studied that before. And so David, when he finally sees the wrong, he's a good man. He's a good man. And so let's continue here. Uh, guys, I'm still getting feedback up here. And so we continue the lamenting part. Look at verse 33. And the king sang a lament over Abner and he said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? I like that. Lamentation over him. Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put in fetter, into fetters, as a man falls before wicked men. So you fell. He did wrong. But David's honoring him as a military man. Then all the people wept over him again. And, and David fasts. David prays. David laments. I mean, it's a beautiful picture when you see this. And again, you have to look at David's heart. In verse 35, And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food, uh, while it was still day, David took an oath and he said, God do so uh, to me and more also if I tasted bread, if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. David fasted. David mourned. David wept. David lamented. And, and he fasted. All this was for Abner. I mean, Abner's dead. We know that. But David's honoring him. Honoring him. I like that. And so, in verse 35, And when all the people came to persuade David to eat, while it was still uh, day, David said, uh, said, David took an oath, he said, saying, God do so to me and more to the rest. Uh, now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them. Listen, David won their hearts, uh, since whatever the king did pleased all the people. Uh, again, David's following what a king is supposed to do. He's supposed to act like a king. He's supposed to do as a king. And so what David did was the right thing. Uh, what Joab did was the wrong thing. And I believe if Joab wouldn't have taken care of business, God would have somehow, some way because we've seen that in time past. Uh, verse 37, And all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not 
been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. There's the key right there. If David would have killed him, the people would not have followed David because they would have saw his heart. And they did see David's heart. Then the king said to his servants, Do you uh, not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? Uh, again, I, I love this. Uh, military guys know this. The, the respect and the honor that you pay uh, to a fallen comrade, no matter what he did. If it was wrong, you're still going to pay homage. You know, and, and so... This is a beautiful picture here, what David's doing for, for Abner. In verse 39, And I am weak today, though anointed king, and, and these men, the sons of Zariah, uh, are too, too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoers according uh, to his wickedness. Uh, these guys that were around David, the guys that were around Abner and Joab and such, these were all tough characters. Uh, and so David learned to give it over to the Lord. But I want you to mark this down. When we get to it, it'll come up. Later, Solomon uh, has the, the chore uh, to have Joab killed and put him in the grave. And so David doesn't forget, but there's a time and a place. Uh, God gets his vengeance uh, according to his will and his purpose. And I think sometimes we have to examine ourselves. Somebody does something to you. And you want to retaliate. Sometimes somebody says something to you. And you want to say something back. And it's not easy uh, to keep your mouth shut. I know that. And it's not easy. Uh, even though you keep your mouth shut, don't roll the eyes. Because those eyes will roll. And that, or, you know, the, the guys in law enforcement like to read body language. Oh, you just cussed me out. How did you know your body language. <laughs> Look at 2 Samuel chapter 4 now. It's a short chapter. When Saul's sons heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. Saul's son. And all Israel was trouble. Their hearts were broken. Abner was cruel, hardcore. But he was also loved and respected. Saul's son, Ishboeth. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Banna, and the name of the other was Rechab, the son of Rimnon, the Berite, and the children of Benjamin. For Beeroth also was part of Benjamin. These were the, of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember that these were the fighters in Israel. Uh, Saul of Tarsus was a Benjamite. King Saul was a Benjamite. That's why you see Paul such a character in the New Testament. These guys were fighters by nature, and God placed that in them. In, uh, in verse 3, because the Berathites uh, fled to Githim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son now. Remember, Jonathan and David were very close. Saul's son had a son uh, who was um, lame at his feet. He was five years old. When the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and, and his nurse uh, took him up and fled, and it happened as she made haste uh, to flee quickly, and he fell and became lame. 
and his name was Mephibosheth. And so uh, we see another character that comes into the picture. David has much love and concern for Mephibosheth. In verse 5, then the sons of uh, Rimon, uh, the, the Bereshite, and Rechab, and Banna, set out and came at about the heat of the day uh, to the house of Ishboeth, who was lying on his bed at noon. Now, I have to ask the question here. Remember, Ishboeth, he's, he's a weak king. He's a puppet king. And uh, Abner is the one that had him appointed, basically. Where's the guards? Nobody is watching. These guys come right in in midday, and uh, did they want him to be judged? I don't know. But there's no guards. It's, it's, he's in his bed. It's at noontime. Ishboes was, was the weak king. Remember that. Uh, was there no loyalty? I asked that question too. In verse 6, and, and they came there all the way to the house, into the house, as though to get wheat. And, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Banna, his brother, escaped. Uh, there was no wheat in, in, in tension. It, it was all vengeance. It was all vengeance. And again, did these guys seek the Lord? Did they inquire of the Lord? Remember that got David in trouble. And again, David was a lot of things, but uh, when David was right with God, he would be inquiring of the Lord. This is something that Saul did not do. He did in the early beginning, but we find him at the end of his life. Where? At the witch of Endor. And so interesting when things take place. In verse 7, For when they came into the house, he was lying in his bed, in his bedroom, and they struck him, and they killed him, and then they beheaded him, and they took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. Again, this is a degrading factor, not just to kill him, but to begin to mutilate, and then to take the head. And they brought the head of Ishboeth, look at verse 8, to David at Hebron, and he said to the king, here's the head of Ishboeth, uh, the son of, of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life, and the Lord has avenged my Lord, of uh, the king this day, and Saul and his descendants. Interesting, when somebody wants to do something for you, and it's not right, and this is exactly, exactly what's happening here. And so we did this for you, David. And what about Ishboeth? Where's the Lord in this again? Uh, but David answered Rechab and, and Banna, uh, his brother, the sons of Ramon and Berthite, and, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. I like what David's saying there. I am a sinner. I've done some bad things, but what you guys just did is not good. When someone told me, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him. Remember, David goes back to that servant, the Amalekite that comes. I arrested him and had him executed in Ziglag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous person? Now, Ishboeth could be a bad king. But he was still the king there. And so the respect, again, that David's showing. Kills a righteous man on his own house in his bed. Therefore, shall I not now require the blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? 
don't you just love the, the way the poetry goes here? I mean, I just love it. Uh, you guys brought this on yourself. But thinking they're going to please David, thinking they're going to please David, thinking that David's probably going to reward them. Well, the servant that came, that was an Amalekite, remember he bought all of Saul's armor men, uh, and David had him taken out. And so, verse 12 now, we come to the conclusion, and then I'm going to read some, some passages out of the Old Testament and some in the New. So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and their feet, and they hanged them by the pole, or the pool that is, in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishboeth, and they buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. David took care of business. Now, we often hear how the Amalekites, how the Assyrians, and other heathen nations, how they brutalized the people. Many times they committed suicide before they invaded their, their homes because they were afraid. They would gouge out eyes. They would cut off tongues. They would uh, cut off a foot, cut off a hand. And I mean, and here's the children of Israel. So it was the nature of things that they did in the Old Testament. David took care of business. David quickly made an example of these murderous men. They were not soldiers fighting together with him. They were murderers who deserved just punishment. And again, you can go back to uh, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God allowed this thing to happen. Uh, listen to uh, two commentaries, one by Adam Clark. Uh, by this act of justice, David showed to all Israel that he was, that he was a decided uh, enemy to the destruction uh, of Saul's family and that none could lift up their hands uh, against any of them without meeting with deserved punishment. They had it coming. Commentary by Kyle and Dalich. Uh, I love to read their Old Testament commentary. Thus David acted with strict justice in the case not only to uh, prove to the people that he had neither commanded nor approved of the murder, uh, but uh, from heartfelt abhorrence of such crimes and to keep his conscience void of offense toward God and towards man. I, I think David did the right thing. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. We're done with the uh, Samuel chapters. Leviticus chapter 24, uh, verses 17 through 20. And, and those of you that have been coming on Wednesdays, we've been going uh, systematically through the Old Testament. And so, remember when we were back in Leviticus, and, and again, some of the laws are, are just harsh for us and, and strong for us. But these are the laws of God. Leviticus 24, verse 17. Uh, if a man takes the life of any man or any human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal, listen, shall make it good life for life. The disfiguration. For disfiguration. I, I, that's pretty radical. Uh, verse 20. Fracture for fracture. And then we hear Jesus quote this. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. Radical statement. Now, when we talk about an eye for an eye, and when we talk about, you know, death for death, 
it's when there's a cold-blooded murder. Uh, when something that was planned and, and perfected and, and, and what these guys were doing was cold-blooded. And so uh, the law pro protected that. Now flip over uh, to Matthew chapter 5 uh, in the New Testament. Jesus is speaking at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus teaching uh, the church, the body of Christ, and the caption of my Bible, uh, in this section, it says, go the extra mile. And, and I think some of us struggle with that, go the extra mile. Uh, I don't know about an extra mile, Pastor Bob, maybe, uh, maybe an inch, and that's about it. But listen to what Jesus says. In verse 38, Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You have heard it, Old Testament. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn to him the other cheek also. Now again, very difficult when we come across that kind of a passage. Do we have the right to defend ourselves? Yes. And husbands, I hope if somebody uh, attacks your wife, you're not going to turn the other cheek. You're going to take care of business as much as possible. I mean, it's common sense here. But, you know, turn the cheek when, it, when it's possible. Let's put it that way. I, I mean, somebody goes by, you're jacking up the car, and you got to change the tire, and it's a couple of young kids, and they throw a water balloon at you. I know what you're thinking. I've got the tire iron, and I can still throw be careful. That's when you need to turn the other cheek. The other cheek needs to get washed, okay? <laughs> but let's take some time to pray. We're going to continue in our study. I didn't want to go to the next chapter because I wouldn't have had time. And so I, we get a, a short message. You go, short message? Wow, what happened to Pastor Bob? But let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. And again, Lord, we pray for the people in Southern California, the Inland Empire there, uh, in, in San Bernardino, Lord. And Lord, so many other people that surround the area that we know, even our own daughter that doesn't live maybe 20, 25, 30 minutes from there. And Lord, these are just uh, the signs of the times with Paul says in the end times that we, we will be in perilous times, uh, evil times, it's here. And Lord, we need to be aware, we need to be awake, uh, we need to be prayed up. And Lord, I know that through this, uh, you're shaking uh, the ver very foundations of nations and the very foundations of man. And, and it's times like this that, that man needs to turn to God. It's times like this that man needs to get on his knees. It's, it's times like this that we need to cry out to God. And so, Father, we pray for our nation, we pray for our leaders, we pray for our country, we pray, we pray Lord, for uh, those who are in law enforcement again, we pray for the first responders and such. Uh, Lord, they're being attacked viciously too, and it just seems like they can't do anything right lately, and yet when something of that nature that happens today, everybody wants the police out there. And so, Father, help the law enforcement and help the law enforcement here in our community, Lord. The things that are going on. We need to be aware of these things. Uh, we need to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, Jesus said. 
And so, Father, bless your people as they've come tonight. Minister to their hearts, Lord. Speak to us uh, in the heirs and the triumphs of David. Speak to us in the heirs and, and the triumphs of, uh, of the leaders in Israel. And Lord, even in our own leadership, we need to pray, Lord, for what's going on in, 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 in Washington, Lord. We pray for our country. And we pray for Pastor Saeed, Lord. And we also pray uh, for the nation of Israel, Lord. And we know, Lord, that Israel is the apple of your eye and you're not finished with her. And so, Father, we cry out. And Lord, tonight the Gideons are visiting us, so we pray for them. We pray for their ministry. It's much needed, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, when I go into a motel, hotel room, I go into a resort area, I go into a, um, you know, a lodge or whatever it might be, I'm always checking in there. And lo and behold, there's a, a Gideon Bible there, and I thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, as uh, long as those doors are open, that the Gideon Bibles would be poured out and, and, and put in and, and given to students also and to military also, Lord. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.